And especially for Black Indies who are writing things, um, many of them um, self-published because they cannot or they do not perceive traditional, traditional publishing to be um, welcoming to that work, you're then, you know, sort of um, penalizing them for making a decision um, based on their own desires and needs, but also based on a, um, a, a publishing atmosphere that refuses to create space for them. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einolander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today's guest is Katrina Jackson. Katrina is a college professor by day who writes romances by weekend when her cats allow. She writes high heat, diverse, and mostly queer erotic romances and erotica. She also likes sleep, salt and pepper beards, and sunshine. Welcome, Katrina. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, I will start with the first question since it's about cats. And it's uh, our so everybody's us, question. And it's our, literally, <laughs> I think this is, we ask the same question of every guest we've ever had because all our guests have cats, which is oh. wonderful. So tell us about your cats. <laughs> um, I have two boys. Um, one is about 12 or 13. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. Um, and he's a black cat and he uh-huh. is lovely and an old man and when I got him he was a kitten oh wow so he was very attached to me Mm -hmm. um and uh the other is four and a half who Mm -hmm. he's uh, um a gender I specifically wanted a gender because at the time I had two black cats and I would joke with my mother that I wanted to on Halloween uh, recreate a Halloween Oreo so two black cats and an orange cat (laughs) in the middle I see a kitty cat Oh yeah, yeah, there he is. That's Manny. He's the black oh. cat who's the old one. Mm-hmm. He likes to follow me around the house. Oh, not uh-huh. today. And uh, <laughs> the other one is Stax, but I named him after an Idris Elba character, Stacker Pentecost from Pacific Rim. So we call him Stax. Oh. Um, and he's terrible. And I love him. I've also had him since he was a kitten. Um, so what inspired you to start writing romance in addition to your academic career? And could you tell us a little bit about what kind of romance you'd like to write and why? Um, so I started writing romance when I was in graduate school. And mm-hmm. most of what inspired me was exhaustion. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is something about, um, well, there's a lot about graduate school that I found really stressful, obviously. But also really, um, I'm originally from California. I went to graduate school in the Midwest. (laughs) And so um, I was away from all of my family and most of my friends. And it's a different thing to make friends, you know, after college, right? So, um, and an even more more different thing to make friends after you leave school for good, right? So um, I was lonely a lot, lot, which is why I got cats eventually. Um, and so I started reading fan fiction and then I stumbled on um, a whole bunch of um, Black women writing um, fan fiction who, sorry, um, <laughs> who um, were a lot like me and that they had professional lives or they were getting um, advanced degrees and they were writing fan fiction mostly as release. And um, I started reading it as a release, and then I just followed them into writing it, um, and just wrote my first romance 
on a whim when I was supposed to be finishing my master's degree, writing my thesis, because I just, there's that moment where you're looking at a piece of academic writing that you've read 50 times and your advisor has torn apart 49 times, <laughs> that it stops making sense. The whatever point you're making is gone. And um, so I would stop reading. They, they always tell you, stop reading, give yourself a break. Um, but what are you, are you supposed to do? <laughs> um, so, um, so I started reading fan fiction and romance, and then I started writing it for those moments when I needed to take a break. That's great. And, and uh, what is it, 17 books later? or <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <I'm not working. laughs> And um, yeah, can you go a little into like the subject matter that you write about or the types of romance where we've, we're used to talking to romance authors who are very like market focused and do it for the money. Um, oh, yeah. And so kind of like chase what the trends are. Um, so I, is that kind of how you approach it or is it more the fun stuff it's for you? Bit, um, I'm not, first of all, I, the idea of doing more research um, outside of my job where I'm a historian, so all of my work is research. Sounds nuts, I don't want to do that. Um, and also, I always say, and I know lots of authors say this, um, but I literally write for myself. So if I have an idea that makes me giggle or makes me excited, I'll write that. And sometimes I release those, sometimes it's just for me, sometimes they go nowhere. Um, so I literally just write for myself. Um, so I write, um, primarily erotic romance, although I have some things that kind of straddle more, um, less erotic romance. Um, uh, a little bit of romantic suspense uh, I moved into in the past year or so. A lot of erotica um, dealing with like polyamory and um, a lot of bisexual black women in particular. Um, yeah, I have a small town series that is I don't know. Kind of That's random, the one but... I read. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering it's kind if you. Of random and I like it. <laughs> I was wondering if you had a cat named Kathleen Cleaver, <laughs> but. <laughs> no, but I I did model that cat. So when I got my ginger cat, I had another black cat, a, a girl, and her name was Katrina, uh, which is where I got my pen name. Mm -hmm. And my friend in graduate school named her after Hurricane Katrina. I'm not entirely sure how we got there <laughs> as a thing, but we did get there as a thing. Um, but anyway, so I modeled Kathleen Cleaver after Katrina. Oh, that's and then she died like two years later. So oh, no. like, oh. Oh. Or actually, no, no, that's not true. She died um, when I published my first story, and then she, uh, or she got sick when I published my first story. Sorry, and then she died uh, right after I published from scratch. So oh. well, she's immortalized. Yeah, she is. you immortalized her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so where where do you find your audience for uh uh I've seen you do a lot you're very like good about posting on Instagram um and oh, I've seen I, I mean I think in your stories <laughs> in your stories at least yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um do you do you go after your audience when you're marketing books or is it just sort of like do what you can when you can um I think both of those are too gracious for me personally. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty passive person in the marketing part. Um, I don't do that well. Um, and my friends like make fun of me for that. Um, but it's not the thing I love. It's not the thing that I got into this for. 
so um, I'm, de I'm definitely the kind of person who's like, I want to make one tweet that I can retweet <laughs> for all <laughs> eternity, <laughs> uh, or some variation on that. Um, and so I, I find most of my readers on Twitter, although I have recently moved into Instagram um, on the encouragement of a friend. Um, which I like more because it's visual and I'm kind of visual. So that part of it is nice. Um, I'm also, um, I don't read any captions <laughs> and I assume a lot of people don't either. So it's just nice to see the visual um, as opposed to Twitter, but mostly Twitter and then word of mouth. Like I think uh, romance is the kind of genre that works really well with word of mouth. And I've been really lucky to have that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to find a couple of your uh, interviews on, I think, Shelf Love was the uh, podcast. And I found one with you and Corellia Stutzwaters and Katie Robert. Mm -hmm. And I think it was talking about angst. And um, it was weird because the, the press that I had uh, worked for in graduate school actually did a YA book by Corellia. Mm -hmm. And then Katie Roberts was like the first romance book I ever read. And so, like, I found a panel with the three of you and was like, <laughs> all right, I'll give it a shot. And then at one point, at one point, Corellia was like, my, because you were talking about bully romance, and Corellia was like, my childhood bully died young, and I'm still not sad about it. I remember that. The whole, the whole conversation was like, okay. Well, I read her YA book, and she talked about what the bully did to her, and I was like, I get it. <laughs> um, okay. So I think you're next, Corinne. Oh, yeah, I am. All right. Uh, so as an indie romance author, particularly one who often writes about LGBTQ plus characters and poly relationships, what has been your experience of getting romance books into brick and mortar bookstores? Um, I won't lie, that's not a priority for me and hasn't been. Um, so I'm, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask about that in particular. Um, certainly the first bookstore to carry my books was The Rip Bodice, and that was because I released a book. They told me that they thought it would sell well. And so uh, in paperback, and at that point, none of my books were in paperback. Mm -hmm. And so then I spent, um, I think it was four or five months figuring out how to put a book in paperback mm -hmm. <laughs> and how to format it. Um, and then, and that book was Pink Slip. And um, they have, I think, consistently had a few copies in store. And then, you know, after that, other small indie, indie bookstores have covered or have, um, uh, carried some of my books. Um, although I'm now rethinking how I put books in paperback um, so that they are more accessible to indie bookstores because um, I know that they're not. I mean, there are lots of like behind the scenes things about that, like how bookstores get, you know, books and all and paperback and all that. Um, but um, certainly that started with the Rip Bodice, even just sort of mentioning that they thought it, it would sell. Um, yeah. We should talk to them at some point. Um, I just hear so many stories, even about like, I know that Lori is listening to this, but um, Lori, uh, our local paperback person is a very, very romance centric pe uh, person, but even like, you know, reverse harem, the trend um, from like a year ago, I think it's still pretty popular, but even that needs to be put like in a special part of the romance bookstore because it's a little too risque for some people. So... <laughs> So like it it seems that there's still some friction there, especially like yeah. if it's not that kind of like st 
straight uh, romance sort of margin there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, so I mean, because I remember your part of your question was about like the fact that I write LGBT and yeah. polyamorous romance. Um, I think that there are lots of things um, that make me wonder about whether or not, so if the rip bodice hadn't contacted me, I probably wouldn't have put my books in paperback for um, ever, maybe longer. I'm not entirely sure. I don't have a plan. I have friends who are indies who plan and I'm like, well, you know, this seems good today. Um, <laughs> but um, I definitely did imagine that none of those books would sell. And then a year on, um, I sort of, I have spent time sort of thinking about like what books um, are, that are popular for, you know, my readers and for new readers and what, you know, covers look like. And I think the really interesting thing about pretty much all of my books is none of them present as particularly risque, even though they are incredibly erotic. Um, and part of that is because I can only get so much stock and the things that I, are stock photos. So the things that I prioritize are um, black women. So um, those usually are single photos, right? So are photos of a single person, which means that um, like you're not going to get like a sort of shirtless like person or like a, um, if I write a triad, you're not, I'm not going to find photo, a stock photo with like something representative. So instead you get what I hope is a beautiful uh, black woman on the cover that doesn't present particularly uh, risque and the book doesn't present particularly erotic. So in that case, it might seem a little easier to carry that in bookstores um, and, then, and then you open it. Um, and, then, <laughs> and that's a different story. But they have to pick um, it up first. <laughs> right, they have to pick it up first, right? So and maybe at that point. Um, so that part of it is also sort of happening. And then the other thing is, I even though my books are um, very often queer, I don't tend to market them in um, sort of queer romance for very specific reasons. Um, mostly because again, what I'm prioritizing are people of color um, on the covers, on the pages. And if you're looking at a lot of queer romance, that is not particularly, especially women, queer women, that is not, um, have, that has not been the thrust um, for a while. The thrust. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. I was interviewing someone and um, I was like, is there anything you'd like to plug? And they're like, can you ask that again and not say plug? Can we cut that out? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. I I'm, I'm bad at like sexual innuendo, to be honest. Well, you could have fooled me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, moving on um, to uh, Twitter and a hashtag that came out in June called uh, Blackout the Bestseller List. Um, so I actually taught, we talked to uh, the person who's in charge of publishing at Kickstarter because um, they offer kind of like a method of self-publishing, but we're talking about like the ability for people to pay for their lives um, by selling books. And so you tweeted, well, okay. So first someone said, don't buy uh, blackout the bestseller list books from Amazon. And then you said, someone said not to buy books for hashtag black publishing power and hashtag blackout bestseller list from Amazon. Let's remember that many black authors self pub exclusive to Amazon for many reasons. One of which is that publishing is racist. That's the point, right? 
And um, I think a lot of traditional publishing know that it, I'm sorry. I said I was mad that day, I think. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> it makes sense. Like, I think that they, you know, that whole thing generated from people going, yes, publishing is racist, but it is this one narrow thing that I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and hadn't made the connection to self-publishing or self-publishing on Amazon at all. So can you talk a little bit about what Amazon offers uh, Black authors, especially the indies who, who you know who are, that's their main focus, and especially romance authors, um, that traditional publishing hasn't? Um, so I think, um, even though I don't write exclusively Black romance, mean, meaning that everyone involved in the relationship is Black, a lot of the people that I looked to when I started self-publishing were Black romance authors, and they were writing um, um, con mostly contemporary Black romance um, that featured a lot of African-American vernacular English, um, a lot of um, sort of straddling, some of them straddling that um, romance urban divide, which some people are uncomfortable with, um, and writing a lot of erotica. Um, as well as other things, like there are a lot of, there's a lot of variation in that. So there are people who write less erotic, there are people who write some version of essentially um, a black category romance. Um, but all of them for the most part were um, publishing in KU, which meant they were exclusive to Amazon. And, um, you know, in my conversations with them behind the scenes, but also sort of watching um, the way that they talked about their publishing, essentially what they said was, this allows me to fund my next book, right? This allows me to buy the software that I need. This allows me to um, go out and meet my readers if they had book events. Like um, for some of them, it was a little bit of money um, to sort of get bare bones, which is certainly what it was for me when I started. For some of them, they are doing very well. <laughs> like I cannot even fathom some of the like page reads they're pulling in. Um, and um, so when I was taking my cues from them, um, they were all very staunchly uh, indie and in that they had no desire to go to traditional publishing, partially because one, they didn't think that they could write only black romance, right? I mean, there is, um, there are spaces for black romance, certainly, but if we're kind of being attentive to the ways in which the larger uh, romance publishers, the books that they're acquiring, they do not tend to be black romance, right? And so they were sort of saying, I want to write this, you know, um, I want to write black romance, whatever that looks like, whether it's contemporary or historical, or whatever, but um, I'm not going to query for three years for every large public, for every large press to say, no, I'm not interested, right? When I can write this book, and, or that I don't have the talent, which is, you know, how sometimes get, it gets framed, right? When I can write this book, um, publish it to Amazon, um, exclusive or not, and it'll be a number one bestseller, right? A number one new release. Um, and many of them, I mean, they're worse than me. They have no marketing. They're like, I dropped a book. Here's a link. <laughs> and an hour and a half later, it's a number one bestseller on Amazon. Um, and so um, I was sort of taking my model, not necessarily on sort of their lack of marketing <laughs> um, or even less than me, but in the freedom to be able to write the things that I want to write. Like a lot of my books are polyamorous um, and uh, there are not uh, a lot of uh, traditional publishers publishing polyamorous romance right now, especially because we've lost a lot of the publishers who publish more erotic content, right? Um, and I wrote Pink Slip, which is one of my more popular titles, primarily because in looking, you know, after a year of sort of listening to the 
Romance Landia conversation on Twitter, um, I put everything they said would not be popular in a romance. They said, no one cares about queer black women. No one cares about queer women, period. Um, no one wants to read um, by women, right? Because they only want MMF, not FFM. And um, if it's going to be romantic suspense, it has to be dark. And, uh, you know, all of these, and, and these were just narratives that I had picked up. And I was like, well, I'll just write all the things because all the stuff they said wouldn't sell. I was like, that sounds great. I want to <laughs> I want to write that. And I wrote that. And it has been since my consistent, you know, uh, bestseller, um, mostly month to month. And um, so what it taught me was that chat wasn't particularly useful, right? Um, it could tell me a piece of the market, which those might not be my readers anyway, right? Um, but it couldn't necessarily tell me um, that something may or may not be uh, successful, which meant that I had to rethink how I was approaching even um, selling my books, which I did do after that. I want to read Pink Slip now. <laughs> like, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> yeah, and I think so. So it almost sounds like, uh, um, you know, you can monitor the conversation enough. You've seen all of the horror stories. You've heard like the way that acquisitions editors uh, behave now seems pretty notorious. And it's sort of like, you know. I, don't tell me what I already know. If I can sell this thing and you can't, then that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, kind I, of. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that certainly <laughs> with some of the acquisitions assistants I've done. Um, but uh, so do you have thoughts for people who do, like, as we know, Amazon isn't like the best company in the world. <laughs> But do you have thoughts on how people can um, stay, not, not support Amazon, but also support Black authors who maybe only, um, what's, what's that uh, dialectical medium there? <laughs> um, I mean, I think that, so um, I will say that I have moved some of my books wide so that they are available for readers who um, don't want to give Amazon money. But I think at one point, um, I'm not sure when in the last 300 years of this month, or, or, or 300 years of this year, um, <laughs> but um, I was very explicit that some of my books were built to live on KU, right? So the Welcome to Seaport series is a series of novellas. They are 99 cents. Um, they were meant, they were built to live on KU. I didn't understand that that's what I was doing at the time, but now I know. So they are unlikely to leave that uh, medium unless like Amazon calls, um, which, you know, maybe will. Um, <laughs> love an empire falling, no problems. <laughs> um, um, but so they're built to live on that medium. And I try and be really specific about um, when I take things wide because I do some months make more money from KU pay reads than I do from straight sales, right? Um, and I make more money on Amazon than I do on every other platform, with the exception of like Overdrive at, for one month, right? Um, so um, I can't say, um, no, I'm not gonna sell on Amazon just so that you all can maybe find this on Barnes and Noble. That's not, that's not realistic, right? Um, but not I can't, great either. Right. Um, but part of the reason I went wide was mostly about international readers. So it's also, um, I would say the two years before I went wide was me sort of understanding who and where my readers were. 
a lot of my readers were, um, or I have a contingent of readers who are international. And every now and then, Amazon in their countries will hide my books um, because of the erotic content. And in those cases, um, I sort of take stock of that. And a couple of those books were the books that I made wide when they were available so that they could buy them from other sites. Um, and then the other reason I went wide was so that if they couldn't buy the books, they could uh, request them on Overdrive at their libraries, which is perfectly fine for me. And again, um, and I don't mark my books up in the way that I know traditional publishers do to sell them. Indies are unlikely to do that because um, <laughs> it's insane. Um, everything I've heard about the way traditional publishers sell their books, whatever. But um, Supply so they're still, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, um, and that's a sale for me. I don't care, right? I don't care if my readers, but if their library will buy the ebook and they will check it out through the library, amazing. Like I, I don't, um, I do think about affordability um, for the reader and sometimes, you know, I'll do, I'll try things out and sort of, you know, kind of, kind of figure out um, what's the best way for them to read it. But um, some stuff is meant to, to be on Amazon and it won't be for the exact same reason as some stuff is, is wider. Mm -hmm. So you can think outside of the box a little bit as a reader to find where you uh, lend your support to authors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And right. And, and the other thing people can do, um, which again was good for me is um, if you don't want to buy the paperback from Amazon, um, you can encourage that your, um, if, if the author has a paperback available, um, um, you can consider where that paperback is. So my paperbacks are through Amazon, so that's not, that's not the way to go. Um, but <laughs> if that's what you're trying to avoid, but I am moving them so that uh, libraries and bookstores can get them so they won't be through Amazon. So asking the indie author you're interested in, hey, how do you distribute your paperbacks? Um, is I think a perfectly fine uh, question to ask. You can also, um, I think signal boosting is really great, which I think some people, sometimes people think that that's just kind of minor. Um, but I have been surprised at how often um, some of my books have um, sold really well simply because someone was like, this seems nuts. Um, Want to buddy <laughs> read this with me? <laughs> I didn't or know something this was like a thing. that. <laughs> right. Maybe not nuts, but like, um, yeah, like there is that, um, again, word of mouth is also sort of really significant. Let's see. So what did you go through to get your books onto bookshop.org as an independent author? It's on bookshop.org? Yeah. Oh, didn't know this. <laughs> Don't have any idea. <laughs> next question. <laughs> okay, next question. Yeah, that's well, your <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I say, this yeah. is the thing I'm trying to figure out about uh, distribution. I There's so much. So as much as Amazon does allow for the possibility of affordably making books available, mm -hmm. Um, for like for you to make books available. So if you if you want to, as an indie, release your paperbacks, you have to go through Ingram Spark, uh, Spark, right? That's an expensive process um, at some level, right? Whether it's the setup fee or buying your own ISBNs, like at some point you are shelling out a bunch of money. And considering how many books I have, that's an expensive process to move them over. So that's going to take time. But then the only reason I'm willing to do that is because I had 
indie booksellers say, hey, I can't get all your books. And so for what, even though, and I'll go back to Amazon and I'll look at, you know, I've, I've clicked expanded distribution and allegedly these books are available, but they're not available, available, right? So there is a mystification of some information <laughs> about where my books are that is really frustrating. So you have, you have done Ingram Spark for a couple? No, I have, I, I literally just decided to do that. Um, oh my God. You're pressuring me. Because Pink Slip is on there and then two other ones. So I was like, oh, well, if she did it through Ingram Spark, maybe that's why, because bookshop.org, yes. everyone is owned by Ingram, which is also a large company um, <laughs> yeah. and a monopoly. Yes. <laughs> they have, um, now that Baker and Taylor's gone, Ingram's pretty much monopolized um, the book distribution, like that link in the yeah. chain. They're the Amazon of book distributors now. <laughs> they're the book, they're the Amazon Everybody of bookstores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but isn't that the really fascinating part? Um, so when I have questions, I usually go to Zoe York um, because I think she understands. I don't know if you've uh, talked to her. She's ridiculously knowledgeable about indie publishing. And I literally went to her, this is super recent, um, like three weeks ago, because a book uh, bookseller had told me they couldn't get all of my books, even though they were more, more available. And I said, do you understand why? And she very kindly um, and completely without asking for anything in return, Zoe York walked me through all of the ways um, that books that were distributed through Amazon could be available in spaces that were allegedly Ingram Spark only. And essentially what we ended up with is if people want to acquire books, they can, right? <laughs> if they want to get the information for books, they can. And so every time you're like, well, why can't I get this thing or whatever? It's really just because no one wants to, which is absolutely <laughs> insane for the author, right? And for, the, and for the reader, it's like, this should be available. I have no idea why. And I also don't know why this other one is available. I actually don't get to make that decision. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Like uh, we've talked to uh, Joe Bill at Microcosm, who uh, had a big like article in P uh, Publishers Weekly a couple years ago because he was the first one to be like, "She's not going to sell my books on Amazon anymore." Um, and he's in such a well. And I think this speaks a little to what you've been talking about with the type of uh, romance that you write. He's in such a niche that his audience will find him no matter what because they want what he has. But he said that within a couple of weeks, um, he was seeing their books still up on Amazon, like from different sources. There's people who just like buy them up and sell them themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think by people where their companies and some of them are affiliated with Amazon and give them the money as well. So yeah. It's maddening. It, it's, it's madness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you write for Radish too? I do. That was a, that was a, another new word development. I had friends who wrote for them and thought that uh, I would like it um, and thought that my books would do well there, which the second part of that has not been proven particularly true, which is interesting. Um, and good market research. I, you know, um, I'll take it. Um, but I did like the serialized aspect of it. Um, so I'm also rethinking how I use Radish right now. Mm -hmm. um, but that was also part of me making books wide is that as long as they're not in KU, you can distribute them any way you want. So my books are available through Barnes and Noble and, you know, um, Script and all of that stuff. And they're on Radish. So wherever you are comfortable spending your money, they are there. Um, and for whatever budget you're comfortable as well too. Radish is expensive, <laughs> but some people like reading in that way. So 
the trade-off for them is worth it. So the books that you write can be sold other places than Radish that you don't just like have certain things that you only do on their um, I app? Don't. Um, I know some people do. They have written stories specifically for Radish that are not available anywhere else. I gotta be honest with you, I only have so much brain power. I have a job that is driving me a little bit more insane um, <laughs> every day. Um, so I, I only write so many stories and I try and make those as widely available as, as possible. But I am, although I've fallen off, um, I am writing a story on Radish first to be released wide and I did that with another story before. So Office Hours I wrote on um, Radish and then when it was finished on Radish I released it wide and that's probably what I'll do in the future. Okay. I had it in my head. We, I just talked to a sci-fi author a couple of uh, episodes ago and he did a series for Serial Box, which apparently oh. they do it like a TV writer room almost where they like kind of hire people on to write a serial together. So I wasn't sure if like Radish was the romance version of that, but it sounds like. No, they do actually have that. I think um, Tamara Lush has done that with them. Like they brought in um, a whole bunch of um, popular authors on Radish and sort of, I don't know if they had them write something together or they prepared them for writing things specifically targeted to Radish, but she actually gave an interview with Shelf Love. Um, so, and she okay. talked specifically about this and that process. So I think it kind of is, um, but that's that's rarefied air. That is not, <laughs> that is not where I'm living on Radish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so there's been some, I also discovered this in my uh, research of the podcast that you've been on. I found a, a podcast called Three Black Chicks. I don't think you were, were you on it though? Or did they just talk about you? Okay, well, they're your fans. <laughs> they had your name in something. They mentioned that um, some of their favorite Black authors had been getting ever since June and people, you know, black out the bestseller list, et cetera more white people have been buying uh, black books to read, but the people on this podcast mentioned that their favorite authors were starting to get bad reviews from people who like, would leave a review like, I can't relate to this. I don't understand it. One star. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, um, do you have recommendations or requests for white people who go out to um, and want to read more black authors and books about black people without uh, causing that sort of collateral damage? <laughs> Or direct damage, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, so I have a white reader in mind who's read everything I've written thus far, and um, she is um, a really wonderful reader and then also an online friend for lots of reasons. And part of what um, she and I talked about, um, I want to say like a year ago, is that, um, and maybe even more recently, is that we both were the kind of readers who are self-reflective about what we read. And so she specifically, before I think she found my books, had decided she wanted to read more indie authors and more authors of color. And so she started tracking that reading. Um, and part of what that told her is, was she reading a particular kind of book? Should she diversify those selections? Did she have tropes that she liked that sort of worked for her regardless? Um, and she, um, and there are other things, but part of what I loved, because that's how my brain works as well, is that um, thinking about what I'm like actually imbibing actually helps me figure out what I want going forward. And 
I think it is really irresponsible to go into um, reading books by authors of color, in particular Black authors, if you never have before, expecting that they have to look like everything you've read before. And especially for Black Indies who are writing things, um, many of them um, self-published because they cannot or they do not perceive traditional, traditional publishing to be um, welcoming to that work, you're then, you know, sort of um, penalizing them for making a decision um, based on their own desires and needs, but also based on a, um, a, a publishing atmosphere that refuses to create space for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, being sort of conscientious about why you're reading, right? If you're reading just to find the same kinds of books that you can find in traditional publishing, there are Black authors who are traditionally published. Um, read them, right? Like <laughs> there is a chance that that might be sort of similar. If you're reading, you know, Black Indies, um, consider, well, um, consider why you want to read Black Indies in particular. I think if you want to read Black Indies thinking it's like traditionally published, but like a faster turnaround, that's not true, right? Um, if you want to read Black Indies because you want to support, you know, uh, independent authors, um, that's a step, but it, it also isn't sort of the end. So I think you should ask yourself some questions before you just go into um, reading uh, Black Indies or really any indie authors, because the, the atmosphere in indie publishing is so different. And, uh, and even indies versus self-published, right? That is such a, those are different atmospheres. Um, and so thinking about what you're looking for can help you, I think, be a better reader. And kind of uh, seeing something in its own context and, and uh, yeah, not making it about what you already like and holding it to that standard is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, um, and I don't want to say not holding it to that standard, but it's the looking at it in its own context, right? Right. Um, so if you look at the sort of landscape of polyamorous romance, um, and there's, I'm going to say not enough of it because I think there should be just more. Um, there, very little of it um, features Black characters, right? So if someone's coming to my polyamorous romance and like, you know, pink slip starts with like this, like young 20 something black woman, like talking about edging herself for her bosses, whatever. Like that is a different, um, potentially a different story um, that you are going to get um, in that book because there was no one, no editor who said, I don't know if people are gonna like this in the Midwest because you know, here I am in the Midwest and I like it, so it's fine, right? So <laughs> um, I had no one sort of second guessing whether or not this was marketable because I don't second guess if a thing is marketable. Um, if it's not for you, I think it's totally fine to say that this book is not for me, right? Um, but um, if it's not for you because it's indie published, that's a different sort of statement in my opinion, mm -hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. More categorical and more yeah. like taste-based. <laughs> yeah, lots yeah. of people hate my books, respect it. <laughs> um, but you know, they usually hate it not because, well, I don't know. Um, I, I would like to think they hate it not because I'm a black woman or a black author, but because they just hate the way that I write, which I think is also fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't like. I, I don't like every. You know, <laughs> I think that's the. I think that's the fairest judgment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of a book. <laughs> but, 
or, 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 you know, the author is a terrible person. Also. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> <It's okay>. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there are people who hate me. That's, that's, it's not that kind of podcast. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so what are you reading, watching and or listening to right now? Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> I wanted to keep it wide just in case you weren't reading anything yeah. right now. Like I'm barely yeah, reading. Yeah. like your books, your three Seaport books that I have finished are the only things I've been able to finish in like two months because <laughs> they're like, you know, short and fluffy and nice. And that's all I can handle right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. Everything is hard. That's sort of rough. Um, I am absolutely not reading anything right now. Well, that's not true. I'm rereading Beverly Jenkins' um, Forbidden, but that's for academic work. Um, and um, I'm I'm rewatching. Oh, I'm not reading. I'm not doing anything new. <laughs> I'm rewatching um, Mayans MC on Hulu, um, which is uh, Kurt Sutter's uh, Sons of Anarchy spinoff. I adore that show it's so much better than the original (laughs) noted (laughs) what about you corinne oh um let's see i just started reading a a murakami book actually so yeah it's like an old one it's after dark have you read that no i don't know i've read a lot of yeah (laughs) i know i know so i started reading that um and then I've been watching that um, Taste the Nation show on Hulu that Kimberly recommended to us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is really good. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I also haven't, I mean, I guess Murakami is whatever, kind of the heavy, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It doesn't feel super heavy to me. So I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's, yeah, like really serious right now because I can't, like everybody else. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What about you, Emily? I already said I could only read. Oh, you're only reading three, that. three well, of her you, fluffy books. What are you, wa- what are you watching though? <laughs> what <laughs> I've been watching Great British Bake Off, uh-huh. and I finished. I finished watching DS Nine last weekend. Oh, nice. Um, okay. <laughs> most terrible, <laughs> most terrible last episode other than Dexter. <laughs> but a great show. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's been pretty much it. Um, Oh yeah, there are also podcasts. I've been listening to yeah. some good podcasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, started getting into "You're Wrong About," which I really I like. I love that. I Isn't love it great? That. It's so good. Although I skipped their most recent episode on um, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Oh, that's just really sad. I yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't do that. But otherwise, I love that. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah, you really. don't need that kind of in your life right now. <laughs> Anyway, uh, where can people find you and what would you like to promote right now, Katrina? Oh, man. Um, wow, that's a rough one. Um, <laughs> I'm, you can always find me, unfortunately, on Twitter at Katrina Jacks, K-A-T-R-I-N-A-J-A-X. And I say unfortunately because I tweet a lot and I wish I tweeted less. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm also not. Um, <laughs> Don't apologize. I'm also for available. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a specific kind of piece of me that I it's not for everyone. Um, which is why I'm also on Instagram at Cat Jackson Books, where I almost 
never post um like on my actual feed but I'm always in the stories with like pretty pictures because I love that mm -hmm. um what would I like to promote right now um wow um donate to a bail fund it, please register to vote and if you can uh please apply to vote by mail um buy some stamps and um you know, my books are available wherever. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Facebook at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Instagram at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Please go to hybridpubscout.com and click join our troop and you'll get our free, uh, free guide to choosing between self-publishing and traditional publishing. What is it? Oh, the Hybrid Pub Scout Guide to Picking Your Publishing Path is what it's called. I didn't even write that down. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Katrina. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And thanks for giving a rip about books. Thank you.